This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Now, we've just started a new series we're calling Never Seen. It's all about the way that movies capture and and even influence our cultural narratives. So for each episode, we will watch a popular film that either one of us or both of us have never seen, and then we're going to hash it out right here together. I've been so excited to dig into this series, Hannah. So fun. I have too, if only because I really like watching movies, and now I can do it because I can say it's work. Yes. I was so excited to basically block out time on my calendar during the day and watch a movie. It was so fun. And and it made me wonder if this is a little bit of that excitement that Alyssa had. We we talked to Alyssa in that first episode. And uh, I wondered if this is how she feels or if it's just become old hat for her. I don't know. But the idea of during work hours, oh, I'm watching a movie. Like mm-hmm. it, it felt so, so different and important and purposeful. And what I love, too, is like with my family, with my kids, I can say to them, get off the TV. I get to watch the movie now. I get to pick. You get to pick. Yes. And I can also say to them, you need to sit down and watch this with me. So that was fun with today's movie because I actually got my kids and my husband to sit down and watch it with me. Oh, nice. kind of made an authoritarian statement that said, this is what we're doing. So I really enjoyed seeing their reactions to it too. I I can't imagine – having watched this as a young person. So I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I want to hear about your experience. I'm going to tell you about mine. Listeners, we're so excited because the movie that we have on tap for today's discussion is Casablanca. I Casablanca, is that the right pronunciation? Sure. I don't yeah. know. Casablanca, <laughs> Casablanca. Is it like Casablanca. potato, potato? I don't know. I'm not really Let's sure. I can't remember the how they said thing it. Off. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I had never seen this movie. So this was a never seen for me. And I'd heard people talking about it. But I think I had mentioned this um, in our kickoff episode is that I haven't really watched a lot of classic films. So this was just one of those that I had heard about, but never had it on. So it's just not something my family did. We didn't watch old movies. So um It's not like I was flipping through the channels and thought, oh, I'm going to watch this black and white film. Like, it it just never was on my radar. Wait, wait. Uh, Before you get too far, let's do a quick synopsis 
for everyone who might not have seen it. Um, So Casablanca is a film that was released in the early 1940s, and it's set in Northern Africa in 1941. So it's right at the beginning of World War II, and Casablanca had become a departure city for a lot of refugees um, who had drained out of Europe down into Northern Africa on their way to try to get to America and to freedom. And so this kind of becomes a city where people are waiting um, to get papers, to get visas that they need to get to the United States. So it's a very international collection of characters. And at the center of it is this um, uh, nightclub that's run by Rick Blaine, who is this disenchanted American who has this kind of dark past and he's kind of the brooding bachelor and you're not sure exactly his history. And um, his nightclub is the center for a lot of dealings where people are getting papers or trying to sell things so they can get to America. And it's generally, you know, this is the way it works until one night in walks Victor Laszlo and his wife Ilsa and Victor Laszlo is this um, resistance figure from Europe who's trying to get to America but there's also a whole cast of Nazis around in the club and there's the French um, local French police that are there and pretty quickly you realize that there's something between Rick and Ilsa And you're not sure exactly what it is. And um, Victor and Ilsa are trying to get papers um, to get to America that are on the black market. And that's the central tension of are they going to get the papers? And what exactly is going on between Rick and Ilsa? Oh, my gosh. That summary is so good. It makes me want you to tell the entire story all again. (laughs) So, okay, that's such a good setup. Thanks for doing that, Hannah, because I think that'll help all of our listeners be right into our conversation. And so I don't remember the first time I saw Casablanca, but when I heard you hadn't seen it, I was like, oh, my goodness, Erin. You have to watch this movie because it is truly one of my all-time favorites, if not my favorite movie ever. Really? Okay, so what do you remember when you first watched this movie? I don't. I feel like it's always been with me. Really? Oh, that's very sweet. I know I was not young Mm -hmm. when I first saw it, but when I watched it for the first time, I just felt like... I had found a movie that made sense to me. Um, I loved it on so many levels. So I was thrilled that you had not watched it because I also felt like I could introduce you to something that I love so much Mm -hmm. that I was excited for you. I was excited for you to have a virgin experience of Casablanca. <laughs> so I'm curious. So so we watched this. I watched this with my kids and my husband yesterday. Um, made them all sit down, had them watch it. But I'm curious what your experience was like. So you watch this classic movie set in Northern Africa during middle of World War II, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Berman, Claude Rains. There's all of this kind of golden age of Hollywood ethos it's existing in. And you sit down to watch it in 2019. What does Aaron come away with? Well, 
First of all, I was completely sucked in. I wasn't expecting that because I think I felt like, eh, I, I haven't really watched a lot of classics, so I'm not really, that's not how I'm primed. You know, I'm not really set to watch these sorts of movies. But I really loved the banter of the dialogue, was very happy with that. Um, I have comments about about that, but I'm going to save that for a moment. I liked the dialogue. I liked um, the setting. I felt like there was so much going on, even though primarily it was set in Rick's cafe or club or whatever that Club American. Um, I thought the way the movie progressed, they were going from table to table or one room to another within this club. I thought that was really interesting. It just seemed like it was small, and yet there was so much going on within this one location. And I felt like that was such a reflection of our own lives, where it feels small, and yet there's so much going on. I mean, if you go to any one pocket or corner of your life, there's all this drama and all these details, and they seem small. And yet when you add it all up, it's like there's a lot going on in life. So I loved that. I love the international flair of it because there are people from all over and um, you're hearing their stories, people from different countries. I loved that. But Hannah, here's the thing that stuck out that made me giggle. So much drinking and smoking. <laughs> so much. I, I had to laugh because as each person is moving just from one table and then they go over to the bar and then they go to another table, so many drinks. And I'm like, you just had a drink. Like you didn't even finish the drink you ordered. Where's your drink? Now, <laughs> now, Erin, so these are hard times. It made me laugh. <laughs> they had to drink so much, right, to make it through? <laughs> they did. It, it, these are hard times, right? The only thing we have, we've lost everything, but apparently we have money for drinking. I oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think this is a throwback to um, my parents. If you had a drink, it was like, where is your drink? You have one glass. Like, you right. go get it. Like, you don't start multiple drinks. And so they would order a drink and take a sip and then walk away. And I'm like, you you should have your drink. Carry it with Waste you. But no, they not. go to the bar and they order more drinks. And so that part made me laugh. It, it was just, um, obviously, they're at a club, so you are drinking there. But it just... It's made me laugh because of the way. Yes. It's very very, glamorous. They're walking around with their champagne and their cocktails. And and they're dressed, right? They're dressed for a dinner club. So it's very Mm -hmm. golden age of Hollywood, even in the midst of World War II. So Mm -hmm. it's fascinating that way where it still has this kind of hint to this glamour and luxurious lifestyle that I'm thinking you're a refugee but you remembered to pack your tuxedo jacket (laughs) right I I thought that that um, sense of like oh we're getting dressed up to go out I loved that part of it because we don't tend to do a lot of that today. And so to see that, I mean, the men are always in suits, like everybody's or tux, you know, suits, tux, the hats, you know, I I loved all of that, because it is just a bit different than how we operate today. And it does set it apart. It's very civilized, right? Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. like there's atrocities going on around the world. But we're still civilized about it. So, That's right. And, and, you know, like Alyssa told us in our last episode, it's hard to know what is the reflection of the time and the culture and what was the reflection of the people who made the film. So mm-hmm. this film mm-hmm. was not filmed in Casablanca. I hope that doesn't no. burst anybody's bubble. 
It was filmed in movie lots in Hollywood, you know. So some of this kind of glamour could just be the ethos from which it emerged. But it's Mm -hmm. fun. It's fun to think of that kind of, um, you know, dressing and caring for Mm -hmm. yourself and through special occasions, things you would dress up for. Um, But I do think it's interesting that you talk about um, what's different, right? So, yeah, totally the smoking, too. Now, in our modern culture, there's such a taboo against smoking. Um, Mm -hmm. It says something different in modern movies. Like, I think then it said you were glamorous and you were civilized right Mm -hmm. but today it says oh you're down on your luck or you're dealing with stress or this is a bad habit we're trying to quit and and so it's not that smoking isn't present in modern movies but it says something different you know and so it's interesting as we go back and watch these movies over the next few weeks that we haven't seen or we're catching up on that they are situated in a certain time and what translates and what doesn't translate is going to be kind of fascinating to me. One thing that was fascinating to me about that kind of gap in, this was filmed in 1942, I believe. Um, and today, one thing I found was they, it was much more subtle. There's a lot more suggestion about the romantic relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I found like we're watching this movie and I'm like, this is a very adult film i'm watching it with my kids and my 12 year old pipes up and he's like well if this movie were set in modern times this would be like a pg-13 rating and i was like really well you're probably right why and he said well there's a lot of gun violence (laughs) but i was thinking more about um kind of the sexual suggestion And the innuendo. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I picked up on some of this even the first time I watched it, even between Rick and Ilsa. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, does she stay the night with him? Did something happen while she's in his walk-in Right. And he makes these kind of vague comments to her husband, Victor, as they're getting on the plane. And you're like, well, what exactly happened? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if to the audience at the time – they knew exactly what happened because they understood the wink and the nod. They understood this is what we're saying, but we're not saying. Whereas today we need it explicit and spelled out. Like we expect, we're accustomed to as a culture, explicit bedroom Mm -hmm. scenes. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have that, we don't know if it happened. (laughs) And and why are you hiding it? I, I think we are so concerned today about it being realistic and true. And so we want to have it spelled out. Like, don't tuck it behind and make us think about what is it. We want to know that's what you meant when you put that scene in the movie. And so I was thinking that same thing about the romance side. Um, as that played out in the flashbacks for Rick and Elsa to to go back to Paris and to show their romance. I was like, how long did this last? And was this just a matter of days? Was it weeks? Was it months? I I couldn't tell. But you could tell by their actions toward each other that they were passionately, deeply in love with each other. And then 
you could also tell there was a scene where it looked like she may have been in a robe. And I was like, okay, it's nighttime, but he was still in a suit. So I was like, is he just visiting her at her room? Um, But again, it was more the suggestion of, oh, they're together and they're intimate. And so we tend to see that in movies today as being much more... um, portrayed and specific rather than implied um kind of interesting yeah and i that actually take on it. find the suggestion a little more dramatic and mm. a little mm-hmm. more artistic in some way mm. and i'm not saying it's the vagueness of you don't know i don't think that's necessarily helpful in storytelling but there is something to be said for just suggesting something and pointing your viewer or your reader or your listener in a certain direction and letting them get there rather Mm -hmm. than everything being so obvious all the time. Um, Because you lose something when everything is obvious. Um, And so I actually really enjoyed the suggestion, whether it was a – facet of the time period because of censors or whatever um but i do think it adds something to the film that isn't as common in more modern films okay aaron but here's the question i have for you you hadn't seen casablanca and now you see it Mm -hmm. is this a must see so if someone hasn't seen it if they've been in the position you were a week ago what about casablanca makes it unique or makes it stand out from other movies? Is it something you would recommend to someone and say, oh, you really should watch this if you have a chance? I say yes, it is a must-see and I think multiple viewings would be helpful because I already would like to watch it again. Here's why I think it's a must-see. The the context of the relationships is set with this worldwide stage of all of these um, political happenings, the wars going on, so many things happening, the world is changing. And yet these relationships are still operating. They're still rolling. And to me, it shows the same thing that we deal with. Um, We have relationships and difficulties and things have to still happen. And you're having these discussions and you're making these major decisions. But the backdrop is the culture or the times that you are living in. And I think so often we get this idea that whatever backdrop our lives are operating behind or or in front of, it's almost like we think it's the worst thing or um, no one else has been through these things. And to see a movie like this, it's like, oh, they had major upheaval, the war, political issues, the refugee issue. It's like the same sorts of things were happening. And I feel like you can get some perspective when you see movies like this and they give you that that insight into how other people were dealing with it at the time yeah it's a very good snapshot on the dynamic or the tension between the individual and the group yes the individual Mm -hmm. problems the communal problems and how they intersect and what you should give your attention to and what um has your your allegiance really um, is this question of how do you seek both your own personal good in context of the greater good. And so it definitely has very 
approachable, timeless themes. I think another thing that makes it um, stand out is it it is suggestive and subtle. And um, I think it's actually very rewatchable because of that. Mm. So there are things you don't get the first time through because you don't Mm. know how the story ends and you Mm -hmm. only pick it up the second and third time you see it. And so each time you see it, you have an opportunity to experience it differently than you did the first time because you know the ending. Um, And I think that is a measure of a really timeless classic piece of art that it stands up to multiple viewings um, and actually becomes something of a slightly different piece of art each time Mm -hmm. you approach it. Um, So that I think is something that commends it to be seen and to be re-seen. But my favorite thing, I think really my favorite thing about uh, Casablanca is the dialogue. Um, There's Mm. just so many lines that are um, quotable, memorable, and they show up in a whole lot of places that we've probably come across them and may not know that they came from the movie. And just by way of tidbit, I think part of the reason the dialogue stands out is because it was actually based on a play. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was called Everyone Comes to Rick's or something like that. That was the play. And so there was an emphasis on the written word right so there's Mm -hmm. an emphasis Mm -hmm. on the banter and it's i love i love the dialogue i did too and i mentioned that earlier that i loved it but i here's the funny part for me with the dialogue is that the delivery of it was um so snappy um it felt like there was very little time between I say this thing and you say that thing. And it, it did feel a little bit like, wow, they're so on cue. <laughs> it, it, to me, it felt a little bit um, not as natural. I guess it didn't seem like um, real conversation so much as it felt like, oh, they are getting their lines down and they are delivered perfectly. Um, but it was so fast paced that it, to me, had a little less element of, oh, this feels like I'm watching real life, but instead I'm, I was watching more like a play. Like, and, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was just different from some of the dialogue that you see in movies today where the main goal is you want it to feel like a real conversation, like this could happen in your own home, whereas this was very um, precisely delivered if that makes sense. I think that observation is 100% accurate. And how you respond to that, whether that commends the movie to you Mm. or whether you see it as maybe something of a weakness depends on what you want from it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want the suspension of disbelief that people could live (laughs) in a world that has such titillating conversation. Like I want (laughs) to live in that world. I want to live with people who have witty banner. I want to live with people who have one-liners and give it back and forth to each other. (laughs) And we're all just kind of bright and intelligent. Yes. (laughs) You know, we can come back with playful things. And Mm -hmm. one of um, my other favorite movies from a similar time period is The Thin Man um, with Willem Powell and Myrna Mm -hmm. Loy. And it's a very similar type of dialogue where back and forth, witty one-liners, really well-crafted and memorable. Um, 
But you're right. It's not real. It's not believable, which is exactly why I like it. <laughs> you had mentioned the the quality of the dialogue, and, and maybe that's why there are so many quotable lines from this movie. One that I knew was from the movie, but I didn't know how it was given in context was, here's looking at you, kid. Um, that was said several times um, yeah. by Rick. And I I have to admit, I was a little bit thrown off by why was he calling her kid? And is it because he there's an obvious age difference, even though they were madly in love? I didn't know why he was calling her kid. And I didn't know if that was one of those things that doesn't translate, because to me, that felt a little belittling. And I'm I'm just so at odds with that line. I would be curious to know what you think of that line, Hannah, if you can help me sort it yeah, out. Yeah, I don't know the background to that line. Um, I do think, given the time frame, there is a little bit of paternalism mm-hmm. in the relationship, both Ilsa's relationship to Rick and her relationship to Victor. Um, mm-hmm. When she's describing how she and Victor fell in love she talks about herself as this young bright-eyed schoolgirl that shows up Mm. in paris and falls in love with this figure of a man Mm -hmm. and he kind of opens the world to her in terms of ideas and um, causes and things they could accomplish together and i think what you see in rick is he opens the world to her about her own emotions and her own Mm. sense of longing and love. Mm. And so mm-hmm. there is this feature of not um, quite equal partnership between her and these two powerful men that they are old. Both of them are older than her. Both of them are acting in somewhat paternalistic um, spaces. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is that she is key to the story and who she is going to choose is like one of the central tensions of the movie and so there's a lot of weight placed on her choice and her autonomy even though it's kind of seen as she's the younger more beautiful you know woman that needs to be taken care of she's also seen as necessary to both mm-hmm. of these men. Like they cannot move forward in their life without her. Mm-hmm. Both of them need her desperately. And so it's this weird dynamic where, yes, she kind of acts as a younger, I don't know, character that needs protecting, but she also is the center of both of their worlds. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to me. It is to me, too, because I didn't get the sense that her character was um, one that was helpless, per se. And I, I appreciated that. They didn't they didn't treat her as if she was um, completely unable to deal with the pressures of the time, which I, I liked that. And I also liked the fact that when she um, approached Rick 
um, that night when she was wanting the documents, she was pressing him for the documents, and then she pulled a gun on him. I was that was my shocking point in the movie. I was like, "What? She has a gun! She pulled a gun on him!" And I felt like that was showing that she was serious and she had a goal in mind, and she needed those papers for the safety of her husband and herself. And I I loved that she was getting into it, like she wasn't this wallflower. She was finding a way to bring that solution and and to make that come about in the way that she thought she could. So um, I, I appreciate that they didn't just push her aside like she was someone just to be carted around. But the line was throwing me off. And I, I guess it's the one one of the ones that everyone talks about. There, mm-hmm. But there are lots of lines right. in the film so that people love. Here's some just to throw out that people might have heard is um, we'll always have Paris mm-hmm. um, round up the usual sp- suspects mm-hmm. um, play it Sam um, play it once I- I've heard that line is play it again Sam but that's not actually in the film that, that isn't line, that weird yeah. it's like our, our collective memory has changed it and we like it better play it again yeah. Sam <laughs> um, another one is uh, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship Yep. Uh, that one's yep. pretty classic. Um, one of the ones, um, let me see if I can remember. It's someday you'll regret this. Maybe not today. Maybe not mm-hmm. tomorrow, but someday. Mm-hmm. And that yep. that play of maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, you hear a lot. Yes. Um, yep. So there's these lines that you, you hear in other places that come from this movie. Um, I think the one, though, that really, to me, kind of encapsulates the whole tension um, is something Rick says, and he says, the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. And to me, like, if you're going to pull out a line that represents this movie, it's that one. It's that tension between individual good and the problems you're facing versus the problems the whole world is facing and your responsibility to the world at large. Mm-hmm. I thought that that theme ran so strongly through the whole film. And when when you mentioned that this would be the film that you wanted us to, to watch and, and to talk through, I knew that it was set World War II. I had no idea that it was bringing together these worlds because of all these refugees trying to get out of Europe and get to safety. I had no idea. So... When you see all these people converging in one place, people from all different places, they're all desperate in their own way. Um, even though they may be dressed up and they have jewels, a lot of they show um, people trying to sell off their goods so that they could have money. They're, they're gambling so they can have money. There are sexual favors exchanged for money or for documents. So people are doing things that they wouldn't normally do because they are in terrible situations. S- but those problems are all part of this larger context of what's going on in this crazy world, as Rick puts it. And 
to understand that your plight, it is serious. And yet there's a larger thing going on here that we're all part of. And you could see how each person played a role, whether it was the um, the officers and how they behaved and how they were moving players around by giving them papers or not giving them papers, um, pinning murders on certain people to move people out of the way. So interesting. And I think that's the sort of film that we need to engage with because in the political realm, these things happen all the time. And we need to understand how our stories do connect with the bigger story, but there's a greater good that we can focus on and and contribute to. And I think the movie does a really good job of showing a variety of responses to that question. Mm. So you have mm-hmm. characters who are just going wherever the wind blows them and they're just trying to survive and so they will make alliances with anyone whether it's the germans or the french or whoever Mm -hmm. is there to pay them whoever is there to help them survive the next day so it's not based in you know values or loyalty it's based on survival Um, Mm -hmm. you have some characters who are completely checked out and and this was a line that rick says he talks about um they're probably asleep in new york they're probably asleep all Mm. over america and and he's talking about the time zone difference but it also has this sense of this isolationism where um they're not aware of what's going on in the rest of the world and how they just kind of checked out of it then you Mm -hmm. also have these um, hero type figures like Victor Laszlo who has committed himself to um, the resistance and who is fighting for good mm-hmm. even to the loss of his own comfort and his own security and so you have this complete array of characters with all the different possible responses to this question and one of the things that makes this film genius is you don't know what the answer is going to be until the last minute mm-hmm. you're watching mm-hmm. these characters wrestle with these questions and as you're watching it you could imagine the storyline going a hundred different directions mm-hmm. and one thing that's fascinating um the main character um ingrid who was played by Ingrid Berman. She, Ingrid Berman didn't even know the ending. And so that as, was unreal as when you, I read about that. <laughs> right. So as you watch her act, she has this kind of um, ambiguousness. Like, like you don't know which way she's going to make a decision. Um, and at one point in the film, she has a line that says, you'll have to do the thinking for both of us because yeah. she's so confused. And you see that in her character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the best things about Casablanca that it really keeps you guessing until the very end. Um, and even watching it again, knowing the ending, I still felt the suspense of, is he going to do it again? Is he going to do what he did right. last time? You know, <laughs> because the acting is so good to leave you in suspense. Um, so it's really a fantastic film and I would recommend it highly if you haven't seen it. I also recommend it. I loved it and I I've been thinking about it since I watched it. I need to rewatch it again and the the way that it ended, I loved seeing the the characters 
unfold. I loved seeing even the minor characters in their own way. They they changed and they grew and and the way that they were handling the difficulties that they were facing. I felt like in that short of a film, they did such a good job of showing how people deal with these personal crises and then make sure that on a grander scale that they are fighting for something greater. So I really enjoyed it. Well, I think that about does it for our first Never Seen discussion. Hannah, this was so good. Such a good pick. Um, All of you out there, be sure to listen in for our next movie-focused conversation. That'll be coming up next week. Um, And I'll make sure that we get our introductory episode for Never Seen series put up um, in the show notes, because if you haven't listened to that first one, it's called Behind the Silver Screen with Alyssa Wilkinson. You will love that conversation. So be sure you... You go back and listen to that first one if you haven't yet. Now, we would love to hear what you all think. Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Um, We spent a lot of time focused on the dialogue of Casablanca. And um, I think even if you haven't seen it, you've probably seen or heard lines from it. So question of the day is, what is your favorite line from Casablanca? Got a lot to pick from, um, and we would love to hear what you think of the movie, but also what your favorite line is. And you can join us um, on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. You can join us in the members forum at Christ and Pop Culture um, on Facebook if you are a member there. If not, you can become a member for just a $5 a month um, support. And that helps us uh, support this podcast network, support the articles that go up at Christ and Pop Culture. Um, And you can always check out um, past episodes and articles that we've written at Persuasion Podcast dot buzz is that right we need to check that it is right okay (laughs) you can always check out previous episodes of persuasion and articles that we've written at persuasionpodcast.buzz and we say thanks to Jonathan Claussen. He produces all the shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network, including Persuasion. You can give them a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can search for them at iTunes. Just type in Christ and Pop Culture and all the options will pop up there. We do appreciate all of you listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.